Welcome to Pierce Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 221. And this is an incredible level of review. Yeah, I've, I've been really excited. Like when we first decided we were going to do this book, um, I was I was kind of iffy. Like I'm like, oh, you know, because sometimes like the quote unquote self-help books and, and you see them all over the place. They're like always the front of stores. You go into an airport or whatever, like those are the books that are yeah. up front. And uh, a lot of them are, are basically the same thing, repackaged a bunch of ways and uh, just full of nothing but, you know, kind of common sense stuff. But I really like this one because I feel it's it's very practical and and very um, realistic in the sense of a lot of books I feel like try and sell you a dream. I feel like this one breaks things down to what it really takes, the difficulty, and also the benefit of uh, of developing habits. So today we are going to be reviewing uh, the first several chapters of Atomic Habits. By James Clear. Yeah. So before we get started, oh. though, let us know down below in the comments, uh, have you already read this book? Are you reading it right now? Uh, and what are some of the atomic habits you are currently starting in your life? And the reason I decided on this book was I just, you know, when you keep seeing books, mm-hmm. right, you're, you're intrigued, you're, you're interested. And one thing I noticed while reading this book, and I'll share this later on, is as a full time reseller, as a person that values their time freedom, I don't like being governed by anything. Like, I like being my own boss. I like doing what I want to do. I like waking up when I want to wake up. I like working when I want to work. But this book challenged me a little bit. And again, we all have these different kind of books that challenge us differently in the way we like. Like, you like Jocko. You like David Goggins, right? I like I, Jocko more than Goggins, but yeah. Okay, yeah. But but you kind of like the, like, no holds barred. Let's make this happen. Let's be disciplined yeah. kind of deal, right? I'm more of like, I don't, I don't like any of that. Like, I see it and I think there's value and there's truth. But I like the 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 practical, the I can do this right now kind of deal. Now, those books provide some of that, but it's more like motivation, inspirational. You know, it's books like, uh, what was the one we did with negotiation? How did I forget? Negotiation book. Uh, Never Split the Difference yeah. by Chris Voss. Right. That one, like day one, you read it, you can go garage sale, you implement it. Or you go to the store or you're talking to your kids like you can implement. It. And that's what I felt with Atomic Habits. And it was interesting because the very first story they share here, they share the story of these cyclists, the British team that did horrible in the Olympics. And over time, they became one of the best teams, you know, cycling. And so what, what they did is they improved a bunch of little things that culminated into a huge improvement that made them winners. And one of the first phrases on page 14, they say, as these and hundreds of other small improvements accumulated, the result came faster than anyone could have imagined. So I looked at this and I thought, what are all the small things in my life that I've been missing out on? Right. Very big. That's what I like about this. It gets to the nitty gritty. Like it, it basically like, is there something you can fit in between you waking up and you having your morning coffee that can change your life, which you think is, whoa, this is kind of crazy. Can this really happen? But if you do that over and over and over again, it can make some huge changes. Yeah, one of the one of the quotes I really found interesting uh, in this first chapter was uh, that success is the product of daily habits, not once in a lifetime transformations. And I think that's really important to keep in mind as we're moving into a new year. A lot of times people make resolutions and sometimes those resolutions are really big. Like I'm going to change everything in my diet. I'm going to change everything about my fitness. I'm going to change everything about. And, and it's this huge transformation. And there's something inspiring when we see people go through huge lifetime transformations. But even then, majority of the time, if those transformations stick, it's not a one-time thing. They worked really hard at something for a couple months and they, it was, they, they achieved it, but it's years of little, tiny, small habit changes. And just to think like, uh, if you were to cut one, one type of food out of your diet and you were to add one little bit of movement extra each day over years, that compounds into a huge caloric deficit or increasing your, your fitness, or, or we could talk about that with finances or, or reselling. If you, if you decide, you know, how many listings, if I could just do a couple of listings here and there, well, two extra listings in the morning while you're drinking your coffee could end up to literally hundreds and hundreds of listings in a year, thousands of listings over the course of, of your reselling, which could be the difference that makes your business succeed. So when you think of um, success, it's not the big transformations that are most important, but most of the time it's small little habits that you develop. So what I liked is, and maybe, maybe it's going to be on later in the book, but it didn't do this whole, like, if you do this for 30 days, it becomes mm-hmm. a habit, right? Cause you always hear that. 
And the 30 days is is tough to do, I find, especially when it's something, I mean, look at me, it's health related or if it's something relating to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to read a book or, I mean, I love reading books, but I have to really want to read a book for me to read a cover to cover within a day or so. Right. And, and I find those books, but you know, and if it's something I don't like doing, telling me, well, if you do it for 30 days, you're going to learn to love it. Like that, that's a, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. So let me show you how nitty gritty this goes. And, and, you know, I don't want to share too much uh, from the story of the book, but I just want you guys to get perspective. So I, I want to go back to this British cycling team because it really laid out what he's talking about. So he talked about how this team wasn't doing so well. So the coaches began to make small adjustments for, in the professional cycling team. They redesigned the bike seats to make them more comfortable and rubbed alcohol on the tires for better grip. They asked riders to wear electrically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature while riding. The team tested various fabrics in a wind tunnel and had their outdoor riders switch to indoor racing suits. But they didn't stop there. This is what I thought was interesting. Brailsford and his team continued to find 1% improvements in overlooked and unexpected areas. They tested several types of massage gels to see which ones led to the fastest muscle recovery. This is the one that I thought was crazy. They even painted the inside of the team truck while each... Uh, let me, sorry, excuse me. They even painted the inside of the team truck white which helped them spot little bits of dust that would normally slip by unnoticed, but would degrade the performance of the finely tuned bikes. That is, that is the next level, right? You wouldn't think that's something so small. And so when you think about these small habits that lead to big changes over time, we are getting to the minuscule things. And that's what I liked about this because it had me do, <laughs> for lack of a better word, because we're resellers, an inventory check of my life. And what am I doing in the morning? What am I doing in the afternoon? But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But like you said earlier, it says habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. And I love that that a big portion of this, like you said, it's not like a 30-day get-rich-quick type thing because PRS Podcast has been against that concept since the beginning. Yeah, We've, from the very beginning, have said this is... This is a long term, a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice goes into to being successful. And one of the things he says that I thought was interesting was time magnifies the margin between success and failure. It will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. And it's so true because even bad habits usually don't destroy you overnight. Um, typically, um, whether it's, hey, I just have a beer after work or, you know, I'm, I'm only going to you know, I only smoke a little bit or it's just a little bit of this or a little bit of, of extra dessert. And yeah, if you just look over how am I doing today versus yesterday, it's like, man, I'm so healthy. Like this hasn't destroyed me. But if you continue those habits over years and years and years, next thing you know, you're having health issues. Next thing you know, you're having financial issues. Next thing you know. So those little things might not destroy you overnight. And usually those kinds of failures in life. And when you see somebody who you can tell have just gone downhill, maybe you haven't seen somebody in years and it's like, wow, what happened to you? It didn't happen from one day they were in a, in, in a great place. And the next day they were in a terrible place. Usually it's slow things and time became an enemy. But the same thing is true with good habits. Good habits, you might implement something and the next day. It's like, man, I, I haven't seen the scale go down. I haven't seen my bank account go up. I haven't seen extra sales, but little tiny habits over time when you look back over the course of five years, 10 years, it's like, wow, look at where I've come. And so part of the the difficulty in this is, is looking for the, the patience that it takes. Because when you develop a bad habit, let's say you've been eating well for months and months and months and things are going good. And then you have a few cheat days and a few more cheat days and the scale isn't going up tons. You're like, hey, this is fine. And so it's easy to think, you know, no big deal. But it's hard when it's the other way. It's really hard when you get into, he kind of talks about at one point, like a valley of disappointment where you think you should be seeing improvements and those improvements haven't come yet. And it's because those improvements might be five months, six months, a year down the road where all of those things have stacked up. And so the patience is, is really difficult. And that's where I would argue that the discipline in the small habits is important. But what I love about this book is it doesn't just say do good things, but it gives you very practical ways of making those habits achievable and actually making those habits something that are going to stick. Yeah. And so the philosophy that got me hooked was this, the idea that habits will give me more freedom, which I kind of had to unpack that a little bit. So you read that. I'm, I'm going to read it one more time because as a full-time seller, one of the reasons I love doing what I'm doing is not because of the money I make. It's not because you know, Hey, now I can, you know, spend all the time I want sourcing or, 
it's it's because of the time freedom I have with my boys to be able to do what I want. I travel when I want, you know, I, I can, I can, you know, leave for a week. And as long as I have enough inventory stuff sent into Amazon FBA, I'm good to go. Now I'm, I don't live that laptop lifestyle at all. Don't get me wrong. I, no such thing as passive income. I have to work. Okay. But I can choose when I work, but I've always, and, and Mike and I have gone back and forth in several podcasts about this. Like, I, I don't like the word discipline. I, I don't, I, I don't like feeling restrained. I'm not a fan of any of that. But the reason being is because now I'm my own boss. I like having my freedom. But the one thing I've noticed as a full-time reseller is I've lost a lot of freedom because I've let time get away from me. Right. So, you know, I'll sleep in or, you know, I'll say, I'll get to that later. And and next thing you know, I, I'm telling myself I have no time to get things done. It's like, it's ridiculous. How, how could I not have time to get things done? <laughs> I'm a full-time reseller. I dictate when I do what I want. So let me read this real quick again. James uh, Clear here says, time magnifies the margin between success and failure. It will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally, right? So this is about making time, you know, it's kind of, you, you let money either control you or you control your money, right? Same scenario with time. You let time control you or you control your time. And so bad habits make time your enemy. And so I looked at this and I said, you know, Orlando, it, it's, it's time to make time more of your ally. Yep. It's time to put in good habits. Yeah, no, very good. And that's that's one of the reasons why Jocko's um, phrase is discipline equals freedom. Uh, and we mm -hmm. talked about that's that true. with finance. Like if you're disciplined with your finances over a long period of time, then you have the freedom to spend money how you want to spend it because you you don't have debt. You have, you know, more income coming in. And so uh, these little habits are, are very beneficial. And going back to that idea of time, uh, I misread. I said it was uh, the like the valley of disappointment, but what it's actually called the chart that he gives is the plateau of latent potential. Yes. And the plateau of latent potential is a really cool thing. So imagine a, a, a graph, a bar graph on, on one side, you have the results going up and down, uh, going side to side, you have time. And so we always think it's going to be linear. We think that we start in this place and we figure, well, I'm going to lose this amount of weight. Or I'm going to gain this amount of money. I'm going to get out of this amount of debt. And so you kind of create this like linear line of progress that you're going to achieve. But the reality is a lot of times when you first start out, it doesn't go up. It, it it goes up very slowly and you're, you're kind of not making the progress you think you should make. And it's more like a, uh, like a very drastic U where it kind of is low, low, low. And all of a sudden it shoots up even past what you expected, but it takes time to get there. So the hard part is a lot of people get stuck in that place of uh, that plateau of latent uh, potential where they think they should be getting more. I should be further along. I should have more listings. I should be further out of debt. I should be better off in my, my health. But when you keep implementing those, those habits, then over time, you're actually going to realize, hey, I'm further along than I even anticipated. It just took longer to get to this point than I thought it would. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it applies to reselling 101 in the sense that so often you're a new reseller and you're expecting results within 30, within 60, within 90 days. Uh, but it may take six months. Right. It may it may take a year. Now, there are uh, we've always said there's those that are just able to make gold out of anything. Right. That they, they land on something, they figure it out quick and they're able to make that money. But for most of us, I would say common folk like me, it took some time. And that latent potential, if I didn't wait it out, if I didn't keep doing what I was doing, you know, I wouldn't see where I was at. I wouldn't be able to be a full time seller. I would have given up way back and that's it. But if you're able to consistently apply good habits now, the vice versa applies too. If you're just keep doing bad habits, I'm guessing your latent potential is disaster. Yeah. Right. And so, so you got to be careful what kind of habits that you're using, but this eventual right now we're getting into a little philosophy eventually gets into the practical, but I, I like what it says here. Similar, similarly, habits often appear to make no difference. Right. So you're doing something good. You're expecting immediate results. We're like that. We want immediate results. I mean, that's why we that's why I love fast food. That's why <laughs> I love, you know, going to the movies. You know, you like that adrenaline rush instantly. Similarly, habits often appear to make no difference. until you cross a critical threshold and unlock a new level of performance. Right. And I would say even in my own reselling, I feel like this last year, it, it was the final time when I was not the final time, but it finally got to a place where I felt like I unlocked a new level of reselling. I understood Amazon better. I understood eBay better. I understood my sourcing better. But, you know, I was I was a hamster on a wheel, I think, for like a year and a half, two years until I finally go, oh, OK, I, I now understand what I need to do and I can make this better. Right. So I'll read one more quote and then I'll let you speak. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this book. I really 
recommend. You know, usually we say, hey, you can listen along, but I think this is a book you'll probably pick up and you'll probably go back to every once in a while. He says, people make a few small changes, fail to see tangible results and decide to stop. You think, I've been running every day for a month, so why can't I see any changes in my body? Once this kind of thinking takes over, it's easy to let good habits fall by the wayside. But in order to make a meaningful difference, habits need to be persistent long enough to break through this plateau. Right. And that's everything we just talked about, but just wanted to sum that up. Yeah. And and one of the things that he kind of argues in here, and I think it's a little, it sounds small, but even this is a lot, which I think is in some ways encouraging, but he encourages um, a 1% improvement a day in like certain mm-hmm. categories, right? Like, and so when you think about that, it, you're not thinking I need to change everything overnight. Some people want to have a hundred percent improvement from their habits, the hundred percent in their business, hundred percent improvement overnight. And that is usually not sustainable and it's going to fall flat and it's not going to work. Uh, but 1% sounds a lot better, but even that, because it's kind of a compounding 1%, 1%, um, like, you know, if you were to give a number 1% improvement, the next day, 1% improvement again is going to be a little bit higher than just 1% because you're further along. So a 1% compounding improvement over, you know, a course of time doesn't mean it takes a hundred days to get to hundred percent. You're going to get there significantly faster because of that compounding 1% improvement, you're getting 1% better from where you are today. And I think that perspective of being um, 1% from where you are, where you, where you were yesterday is a lot easier than trying to think, I need to do this all immediately. And one of the ways he encourages this is by saying, uh, it's not so much setting the goals that's important because a lot of times people have a goal, but they don't do the things that it takes to get there. And I'm a big believer that you have to have something you're aiming at. Otherwise, you're not going to, you're just going to be aimlessly moving around uh, and not actually progressing. But a lot of people get stuck on setting the goal and don't set up what he refers to as the systems, the little things that it actually takes to get there. Um, and he he mentions that, um, um, he says, if you want better results and forget about setting goals, focus on systems instead. Um, and he says, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And so the the idea here is, the daily habits that it takes. And, and I, an example I give my students when I'm talking to students about habits, because we have a class every day where we kind of go through these types of things, is something like brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth in the morning is something nobody even thinks about anymore, right? It's just something you do. I, I would hope most people do this. <laughs> um, and it's not something you have to think about. A, a more challenging habit, when you're first forming it, it takes time to, to process and get through it. But once you have those systems in place, you're, you're going to fall to that level. So the lowest you're going to go are the systems you've set in place. So if you've set systems in place to ensure that you are working on your business for a certain amount of time, that you're improving yourself, that you have little tiny habits uh, that are going to get you to where you need to go, then when things get really bad, you're, those systems, if they're strong and they're in place, you're going to move forward. And what I would want to kind of encourage, is I think 1% might even be I don't want to say too high because in the beginning you can usually do a little bit more than 1%, but 1% compounding every single day, you could probably get away with significantly less than that. And over the course of a year and two years, you're going to be significantly further along towards your goals than you would be if you tried to do it all at once in in a short period of time. Yeah. And and the example he gives in here, I like, you know, I well, because I'm a 49ers fan, but <laughs> gives the idea of, you know, Bill Walsh, when he was a coach of the 49ers, you know, had these practices, had these plays, you know, they consistently did these things. And somebody had asked him and said, you know, uh, and let me read this real quick. The only way to actually uh, win is to get better each each and every day. In the words of three-time Super Bowl winner Bill Walsh, the score takes care of itself. Right? And it, and we, we know as resellers, I mean, if we're consistently listing, right, we may not see sales, but if you look at it from a macro scale over a week, over a month, you see the results, right? So at the moment, you're not getting these immediate results. You know, you're out there sourcing, you're listing, you're kind of like, I'm done, like nothing's happening. And I don't know where the surge comes, right? And you're like, okay, I understand. I need to stop worrying about the day-to-day. I need to look at a macro scale and realize as long as I'm putting in the right work and I'm developing good habits, I'll have good results. Now, the next part I like, though, is the problem is that achieving a goal is only a momentary change. And and I thought that was good because I will tell you how many times it's like resolutions, like we reach a resolution, right? It's January right now. Most of us, I would say, have given up on resolutions. I mean, unless everybody that listens here is like, we get things done. 
But the reason with resolutions, like you may achieve a goal. You may, after two weeks of working out every day and you've achieved that resolution, you're like, kind of like, ah, you know, all right, I, I made it. And that's it. Except a habit is something that sticks with you a lifetime. And what he talks about here, what's interesting is his definition of atomic habits. Do you want to explain that out? It was more. No, when I was thinking of atomic habits, I was thinking of an atomic bomb. Mm. Right. I was yeah, thinking like, just, boom, life changing. Yeah. So so when we think of, um, you know, science, you look at atoms. Atoms are the smallest building block of a cell or of anything. Right. The atoms are the smallest thing that we know of. And so these atoms are what make up the bigger parts and the bigger parts make up bigger parts. Right. And it's this almost compounding thing where it gets larger and larger and larger. But when you break it down to its smallest unit, it's the atom. And so the atomic habit is to small little things. See, it's it very threw me tiny off. Thing. I didn't yeah. see that coming. But these are the building blocks. Like the 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 smallest thing, whether it's I'm gonna not hit snooze, and you build that habit. I just I don't hit snooze. And that's your habit. And it's a really small thing, but that sets you up on a path towards, you know, success in other areas. And you know, we've talked about that in other books, five second rule and all these things. And and a lot of those things kind of have the same idea of like little changes make a big difference. And so the, it's so encouraging because it, in some ways it takes a weight off of your shoulder. You're not stuck in this place where you think I have to change everything, but if I can just have implement a new small atomic level, you know, just the smallest little habit and the smallest little change today. And I keep this habit going. And then I slowly add on top of that and I make that habit better and better and better. And next thing you know, you've got that, you've got the success, you've reached the goal. And I think the sports analogy is a great one. You can get on a football field and say, all right, we're going to, we're going to score. And it's like, all right, well, that's a great goal, yeah, but you awesome. got to, you got to do something. Right. And so it's, you've got to, all right, each person has to do the thing they need to do. And it's muscle memory, snap the ball, move forward. Or if it's baseball, you know, it's that muscle memory of hitting the muscle memory of catching, of running all of those things, those little tiny things over the course of the game. Hey, we've got some, we've got some points on the board, but if your only goal is to get points on the board and you're not doing those little things that it takes, you're never going to get the points. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And so it, it was a great kind of foundation because it seems really tangible, right? At first, when I'm thinking Atomic Habits, I read this as kind of this is one of those guru books, mm. right? I'm like, oh, no, like it started really well. But then when he broke it down that, hey, if you just do these small things over time, they'll build because we're talking about atoms, not atomic bombs. Mm. <laughs> Change the whole equation for me. Now, I love the next chapter. And when he talks about habits. He's finally getting to what are habits about. And, and the first thing he talks about is the idea that you build good habits based on identity. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, so I, and like, well, let's break this down a little bit. So he says the alternative is to build identity based habits. With this approach, we start by focusing on who we wish to become. And I, I think that's very important. So they give the example here real quick of a person uh, that doesn't, isn't a, doesn't smoke anymore. Right. So you know, there might be a person trying to break a habit and they will say, well, I'm not going to smoke. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop smoking. But instead, he says, the second person declines by saying, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. So instead of being a person who smokes, they're just a non-smoker, which changes. It's a pretty simple idea to understand. So let's say, you know, if you want to, your, your goal is to be, I, I throw a really easy example, but kind of out there, a CEO of a company, right? And so your goal eventually is to be a CEO. Okay, how would a CEO function? Would a CEO uh, sleep in until one after in the afternoon? Would a CEO not have their day arranged? Would a CEO, you know, ignore people when they're messaging them? Or would a CEO, uh, you know, make constructs of time for people to meet with them? So instead of saying, hey, I'm going to not waste time, instead it's like, hey, this is what I'm going to be. And this is what I'm going to do to make that happen. Yeah, and he kind of shows um, like the three circles. So uh, the inner circle is identity. Uh, outside of the inner circle, you have processes. And then outside of that is outcomes. And a lot of people focus on outcomes, right? They, they're thinking they, th they want to change that the stuff on the very outside of the target. And if you think about it like a target, like that's not where you're really wanting to aim. But if you can bring it in to processes, you're better off. But if you bring it to your identity, you're at the best place because your processes and your outcomes are going to directly flow from that identity. I heard a quote recently that it has just stuck with me and it was something to the effect of um, aging and getting older is a beautiful thing because it's the process of you becoming the person you are always meant to be in the sense of not like destiny meant to be, but 
the things you're doing today, you're literally making yourself into the person that you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And so part of the thing is you can almost reverse engineer that and say, well, who do I want to be when I'm 50, 60, 70 years old? What do I want my life to look like? Well, the process of aging is becoming that person. And so if I'm doing the things now that's going to lead me in a different direction than that person I want to be, you're not going to ever get there. But like you said, if you think of the identity of I want to be uh, you know, a, a grandparent of my, and my kids and have built a, a like a, a legacy for them, or I want to, um, I want to have this, these types of relationships in my life, or I want to have this type of a job. Uh, and I think a good small example is, um, I always have looked at dress for the job you want, not the job you have, mm -hmm. right? And part of that is an identity thing. If you go into a, uh, an employment and your identity is, I am, I am a valuable member to this team and I'm going to help this team succeed. Or if it's your own business of I'm, I am a successful entrepreneur that works really hard. It changes what you do when you get up in the morning. Um, and of course there's delusion, right? But, um, <laughs> but outside of the delusional, Even if you dress like Batman, you won't be Batman. Right. True. Um, okay. so outside of that, but, but when you make it your identity, I think the smoking one is such a good example of I'm no longer a smoker. If your identity is, I am a person who's going to try not to smoke tomorrow, as opposed to, I'm not a smoker anymore. I'm not going to let that identity hold me. Um, then you figure out what are the little tiny habits that it would take for me to be that person, that identity that I want to have. Yeah, agreed. So he suggests on page 39 that it's a simple two-step process. And, and simple. obviously, he doesn't mean like easy. It's simple, like this is the way to do it, but it takes a lot of work to get there. One, decide the type of person you want to be. And two, prove it to yourself with small wins. And that's what I like is the small wins component. So we're, we're slowly, as the book is building, the book is very philosophical in the beginning. Like, this is why it has to be atomic habits. This is what atomic habits are. Here's how you get here. And then eventually it gets into uh, the practical components. But before I get that, let me read this real quick. The first step is not what or how, but who you need to know who you want to be. Otherwise, your quest for change is like a boat without a rudder. And that's why we are starting here. Quite literally, you become your habits. And I, I love another one, too. He says your identity emerges, emerges out of your habits. Every action is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And I think a lot of times, especially if you're younger, um, even if you're younger than me, you're in your, your early 20s, you're, you're a teenager you kind of have this idea of immortality. Life is just going to go on forever. The things you do right now aren't going to matter. But before you know it, you're getting older and older and older. And all of those decisions you made in the past, it's like, well, I can't really undo those things, mm -hmm. right? Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time watching Netflix instead of reading something that's going to improve my life or spending time with my family. But you think, ah, it's, what's one more night? What's one more night of binging on Netflix instead of, you know, going on a walk with my wife? It's just one night. Tomorrow I'll do the walk. But Every time you're doing that, you're actually building those bad habits. I'm, I'm today. I'm casting my vote. I'm going to be not the person I want to be, but I'm going to be this other person. And over time, those stack up, and then it's really hard to undo those. But if you make that decision, and that's why another uh, quote that I heard a long time ago, and it all goes along with this, is imagine the very next decision you make is the most important decision in your life. All right. And if you think about that, like I don't have to worry about what I'm going to be doing five years from now, and am I going to? But just think of the next decision. Oh, should I pick up the uh, the the shake at the the drive through, or should I just drive home and you know eat a banana instead, right? And and if if you think of this decision is a life changing decision as opposed to oh, it's just one time, it's just one time. But if you if you think about that and you're casting your vote every time before you know it, the votes have stacked up in favor of that person you want to be, that identity you really want to be, as opposed to fighting against yourself. Because that's really the thing is you're either your own ally or your own enemy. Yeah, true. And, and what what I like about this is that, you know, he, he brings about the, the the point that, yes, habits are meant to be good things if you implement the right habits and they can bring about an entire change in who you are in a positive manner. And so the last chapter before he gets into the practical, uh, he reinforces this idea of, you know, you can definitely build better habits and there's simple steps to do that. So the next chapter is about these four simple steps. But the first line that stuck out to me is the line that I shared earlier on as to why this book hooked me from the beginning. It was habits reduce cognitive load and free up mental capacity so you can allocate your attention to other tasks. Mm. And I thought about that because he, he talks about here later on about how so many things are so automatic to us, mm. right? 
you you wake up right my habit always is i wake up first thing as i look at it is my phone which may not be a good habit or maybe it is right uh but you know brushing your teeth in the morning is a good habit right i hope so right using mouthwash right uh working out you know eating bread all, all those different things they're automatic like you don't have to think you don't have to plan out and go, you know, tomorrow I think I'm going to wake up and I'm going to brush my teeth. And then after I brush my teeth, I think I'm going to use mouthwash. And then after that, I'm going to floss. And then after that, you, you don't have to, those are all automatic habits that you don't have to think about anymore. Like they're not taking up any space in your mind. And so I, I thought it was really good to bring that out because what he's trying to say here is like, hey, why don't you build these habits so they become automatic? He says they make you think that you have to choose between building habits and attaining freedom. In reality, the two complement each other. Right. So if you make habits, you will gain freedom. Right. Habits do not restrict freedom. They create it. In fact, the people who don't have their habits handled are often the ones with the least amount of freedom. I will tell you, as I was reading this book, I kept thinking about my own life. I'm like. That might be me mm. like that. I think I have all this freedom, which I do. But at the same time, I don't. I mean, how many times am I rushing to the post office or how many times am I rushing to get things done? Well, if I had a lot of time, I wouldn't necessarily have to rush all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why kind of the the silly example that I like to gives, the podcast so much. <laughs> uh, the silly example everybody gives is, you know, and it's not even a silly example, but it's just a interesting thing until you really break down the importance of it that steve jobs pretty much wore the same outfit every day right mm. or other people have very limited wardrobe so they're not spending time because there was a time when i would wear a different tie to work every day and i had literally hundreds of ties um, i would just collect them from thrift stores and it was just kind of a fun thing that i would do and i would spend time every day like all right well does this tie go with this shirt as opposed to somebody who's got maybe if you have to wear a, a shirt and tie maybe two ties and all of your shirts match those ties. That takes that, that decision. Cause you, you end up having decision fatigue. And like you said, if you had to every day make the decision to brush your teeth, as opposed to it being a habit, mm -hmm. you already are spending that capital, that cognitive uh, inventory that you have available for you for the day. It's, it's, it's a limited pool of decisions you can make. And the more of them that are habits, it frees you up for more important decisions. If you don't have to worry about what you're going to do, if you know, this is what I'm eating for breakfast. I eat this for breakfast. I, I, I drink an example in my own life is that I drink a gallon, at least a gallon of water a day. And when I first started that, it was really challenging. And I would have to like mark and like keep the timer on my, my, my watch. Like, okay, it's time to drink more water. And now I just drink and I don't even have to think. And it, I'm going through easily a gallon a day and I don't have to think about it. And there's tons of health benefits for that. And so those habits, it, it does, it frees up a lot of time. And the four steps that he gives for building those habits is uh, make it obvious make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. Yeah. Th and th this is, this will take some time, right? But the time you put up front will save you time later, right? Because if you're building a habit, it should be automatic. It's not something you have to think about. So I like some of, I mean, some of the examples are easy, right? So let's talk about like not eating a donut, right? So he, he breaks it down into the four things, right? And it's the four questions, right? A cue, a craving, a response, a reward, Right. So the easy one I thought was, at least, I don't know, for me was you smell a donut shop as you walk down the street near your office. Right. So that is the cue. Right. You see the donut shop. You're like, hmm, interesting. Your craving is you begin to create, crave a donut. Right. Your response is you buy a donut and you eat it. Right. And the reward is you satisfy your craving to eat a donut. Buying a donut becomes associated with walking down the street, walking down the street near your office. And then you almost have to change. He talks later about environment, but yet you almost have to change your environment in, in order to avoid those things because it's easier to avoid temptation than to resist temptation. And so a good example, I think donuts is a good one. I know I smoked uh, cigarettes years and years and years ago. I think I brought it up on the podcast. Yeah, you, but, you did. But, it always cracks me up what I hear because I can never see you smoking. Um, but it was like right out of high school and it was only like a year that I did it. Um, and there's certain things, right? It's like after a big meal, then you want to smoke. Or if you're hanging out with friends at a certain place and everybody smokes at this one place, then you, then yeah, it's the cue. Hey, we're standing outside the office right now. All my friends are around craving. Everybody's lighting up. Then, then the response I do too. reward, oh, satisfied the craving. And it builds a negative like loop. And then, so every time I'm standing in that spot, so what do I have to do? I have to literally avoid those cues right? I'm not going to stand outside in that area with those people. If I want to hang out with those people, hey, we can hang out in the break room 
when you're done smoking, right? But if, if you go to that place and say, I'm not going to smoke, I'm just going to, you know, hang out outside with you guys while you do, you now are fighting a temptation as opposed to resisting it. And so, yeah, understanding that you've got the cue, the craving, the response, the reward is really important because a lot of times we try to avoid the response as opposed to avoiding the cue. Yeah. And this is specifically talking about bad habits, but the same thing is true for good habits. You can develop those good habits and have a cue after, after I brush my teeth, I do this one thing. That's a really good thing. And then it becomes a habit of every time you brush your teeth, it's like, Oh, now it's time for me to turn on audible and listen to 20 minutes of a self-help book. And then you don't even have to, to think about it. It's just something you do. And yeah, we'll talk about it. It's called habit stacking. Yep. It's later on in the book. It's good. So he ends with this. And again, I ne- for whatever reason, I never thought about this. I mean, you, you know, who thinks about this? I mean, you have to be like stoic and sitting in a chair and just pondering things, I guess, to come up with some of this. But he says, most of us never give a second thought to the fact that we tie the same shoe first each morning. Do you do that? Do you, do you ever like switch it up? Yeah, probably the same one. The yeah, same no, order. I'm pretty sure it's always the right foot for me. Or unplug the toaster after each use. I don't unplug. Do you unplug your toaster? Yeah. Are you supposed to? Um, well, I do because I I take it off the counter. But oh, okay. I don't. I didn't know you're. I have a limited. To. I have a limited counter space. No, I hear you. Or always change into comfortable clothes after getting home from work, which is true. And then when you don't, I remember when I used to when I was a, an administrator, I always had to wear you know a suit coat and a tie. And I remember that was the first thing I did when I got home was taking off that tie and that suit coat. Right. You would never see me eating dinner with my suit coat and my tie. Right. It was an automatic habit. So after decades of mental programming, we automatically slip into these patterns of thinking and acting. So now we get into the practical, into the first uh, segment of, you know, how do you make these habits happen? But before we get there, it is time to share a little bit about our sponsor. So one of the automatic habits I've been having is using my school shaver. Yeah. And it's such a good habit because I, I would wait. I would only shave my head like once a week when I was using clippers and there was always like a two or three day during that time where I hated the way my hair looked, but it was like too time consuming to take out the clippers and shave my head and, and sweep up the floor. But now that I've got my, my skull shaver, it's yep. In the morning, as soon as I'm getting ready, just like the brush in the teeth, just a quick, it's just a couple of minutes, boom, done. And I'm actually saving a ton of time. And I love the way my head looks all the time now. Yeah, it's great. So, and by the way, if you haven't followed us on Instagram, there have been people have purchased Skull Shaver and shown us that hey, Orlando, this was a game changer. Glad we picked this up. So if you haven't had a Skull Shaver and it's time for you to shave your head, go to SkullShaver.com. Use our promo code PURE, that's P-U-R-E, to get that discount. Also want to say thank you to all of you that have been sponsoring the podcast. I'm, you know, I'm hoping that eventually we get to a place where we'll be able to offer extras. Uh, you know, we're slowly getting there, which was a little bit faster, but every single one of you that sponsors us is definitely helped. So if you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle, that's buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle or the link below, you'll be able to sign up. And for less than a dollar an episode, uh, you can sponsor us and make this podcast be available to more people and allow us to provide more content. All right, on social media, we are Puroso Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. We are Puroso Cast on Twitter and now Clubhouse. And uh, we see the Clubhouse community growing. Again, it's by invite only. We, we've gotten messages about, do you have any invites? They're very limited. And so usually, you know, we, we have people, it's first come, first serving. Usually by the time somebody asks us, it's already gone. Uh, and so, but if you get a chance, you know, look us up on Clubhouse, follow us. It's incredible the wealth of knowledge that is being shared there. You know, I, I kind of said it was a bougie app and all that. And I still think it kind of is a little bit because invite only. Right. But there's a lot of good things happening in that place. I've met a lot of people I would have met before. So when you think about Clubhouse, I know some of you may be hesitant about it, but if you get an invite, I would take it up. Think about being able to go to a, a seminar of whatever your liking is on a daily basis whenever you want. It, right. So. Yesterday, I was I was in a room with a bunch of, uh, you know, FBA sellers. So it was like I went to an FBA seminar. The other day, I was in, in an eBay one. And then the other day, I was in a room with Grant Cardone and like a thousand other people. But it was like, you know, going to the seminar. So anyways, check us out there on Clubhouse if you haven't checked us out. You can always give us a call, 619-738-1170 at 619-738-1170. Or shoot us an email at purestpodcast at gmail.com. That's purestpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we are grateful for every single one of your reviews on iTunes. They definitely help us out. We're about like 10 or 11 away from 400. So if you could just take a moment, 
you know, go to iTunes reviews, write an awesome review for us. It would really help us in the algorithm there. And thank you for all the support from buying t-shirts to dropping money badges on Instagram, to, you know, to just helping us out uh, through buymeacoffee.com slash pure hustle. All right. Are we ready for part two? Getting more practical. Yeah. This, this title, this chapter is titled the man who didn't look right. Uh, so one of the things that kind of starts off with is this, I like this quote, it says, if you're having trouble determining how to rate a particular habit, ask yourself, does this behavior help me become the type of person I wish to be? Or does this habit cast a vote for or against my desired identity? And so uh, one of the first practical things is is actually trying to identify and looking for the right types of cues, predicting cues that are either going to give you a good habit or a bad habit. Uh, when I hang out with these people, I tend to do things that move me towards my desired goal. When I hang out with these other people, I end up doing things that lead me away from that goal. And so being able to identify uh, those cues and recognize and predicting, is this something that's going to help me or hurt me is the first step. And, and it's really just that recognition of, is this something that's beneficial or not? And it's such an easy thing to do, but we often don't think about it until later on when we're reflecting, if we reflect, which hopefully we all do, but of, oh man, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that because I ended up eating too much or I ended up, you know, smoking again or whatever the scenario is that you're trying to avoid, or I didn't do those things that I wanted to do. Whereas if you can spot it in the moment, you're going to be much better off. So I'm going to jump <laughs> towards the end, or end part of this chapter because it gets really practical in the sense that, yes, you are going to become the basically the, the end of all your habits coming together, right? Those habits build you into the person that now looks right, that doesn't look right, right? Because when you build habits, James Clear argues that under the direction of your automatic and non-conscious mind, you fall into old patterns before you realize what's happening. That's what you're just talking about. Unless someone points it out, you may not notice that you cover your mouth or your hand whenever you laugh, that you apologize before asking a question, or that you have a habit of finishing other people's sentences, mm. right? So it's it's you got to do the practical, but you know, it, it's very hard unless you do an inventory check. So I'll give an example. I used to all the time when I was nervous, I would put my hand on my head and I would just do this the entire time. If you're watching the YouTube, I'm just like rubbing my head and talking. And it was super awkward. Like I didn't even know I was doing that until years ago. Uh, my significant other had mentioned it said, Orlando, do you know that every time you talk to important people, you rub your head? It just looks weird. And then I became self-conscious about it, but it was a good thing because now, you know, I mean, when I do the podcast, you know, every once in a while, you may see me doing this. Maybe when Mike says something awkward, I might do that. I don't know. Oh, then that never <laughs> happens. So, so it never happens. Right. But it was a habit, right? It was unconscious. I didn't even recognize it was happening. So what this requires is an inventory check of what you do. So what I love is later on in this chapter, towards the end of the chapter, it has this thing called the habit scorecard, which... You know, I, I was already doing some of this uh, before I came down to the podcast because I was looking at this and said, you know, I want to do more of this. So what he suggests is, is you put a list of everything that you do right throughout the day. And on that list, you put a plus sign if it if it adds, you know, to what you want to become, who you want to be. You put an equal if it's neutral and you put a minus if it takes away from it. Right. And, and I, I was very shocked that I was looking at all these things, you know, I was thinking about like this morning when. You know, I set three alarms when I wake up, right? So if I want to wake up at eight, there's one at eight, eight oh five, and eight ten. And to me, it's a bad habit, mm. right? Because I'm giving myself that leeway, right? The five second rule was like once eight o'clock hit, you five, four, three, two, one, I'm getting out of bed and I'm gonna make things happen. Right. And so I looked at that and I said, okay, negative, negative, negative. I'm gonna remove those other two. I need to keep the eight o'clock alarm. Like that needs to be part of what I do. And it'll be automatic over time. It's going to take some adjusting, but that's what it's going to take. And so the reason he has you do this, because later on we'll talk about this. He makes you basically add things. So you stack ha good habits upon good habits. Now, what this also does, it has you put in check what is bad, which I just talked about. So he, he'll talk about the signaling thing later on, but he says, hearing your bad habits spoken aloud makes the consequences seem more real, right? So if you're able to do this check and you're able to read this out, you can see this. And then he says, tomorrow I need to go to the post office after lunch. Increase the odds that you'll actually do it. And I think there's some truth to that. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, 
writing stuff down. Do you write? Do you do you do a daily like this is what I'm going to do today? Do you have a to do yeah, list kind I of do. deal? Yep. Okay. All right. And then religiously, do you, do you find that you get more stuff done when you do that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, I've for me, it's part of it's one of those things where it is save time. It's one of those discipline equals freedom things. Is I get to work each day and I list out here are the things I have to do. Here are the things I want to do, and here are the things that you know are, are you know would be nice. And then at the end of the day, if there's things that didn't make it, I didn't get done, or if things have come up, I put it on my schedule. So my I didn't do this thing on Monday. I need to do it on Wednesday, and I put it on my Wednesday, and then it frees it from my mind of I don't have to think about this anymore because I already put that I'm going to answer this email or I'm going to mm. resolve this issue on this date. Uh, so yeah, that is that is one of the things that I do habit wise that has been very useful. All right. So that's just a stepping stone of the practical. So then we get to chapter five, right? So now he starts getting into how, how do you start these new habits? So he says that doing these habits, right? Starting these habit, habits, they increase the odds that people will stick with habits like recycling, studying, going to sleep early and stopping smoking, right? So the idea is implementation, right? Intention. So I'm saying, hey, when X happens, I will do Y. Right. And, and it's 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 very hard to think about that in the sense that like you have to have to actually do an inventory check. You have to look because if you're just going haphazard through life, which I love haphazard through life, but I, I'm telling you, it's limited my time. Right. You don't you don't get a lot done. But if you're able to say, hey, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. It changes everything. Right. And here's what I like what he says. He says many people think they lack motivation. What they really lack is clarity. Mm. So I like that because. There's sometimes I don't want to do things. And you know what? If I had just put together that implementation intention, I probably would have done it. If I said, hey, if this happens, I'm going to do this. I would have the clarity and I would make it happen. If somebody asked me to do something, I don't want to do it. I, you know, unless they tell me exactly how to do it. A lot of times I don't want to and I never get it done. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey everyone, ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, Pure Hustle 25. That's the numbers two five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code Pure Hustle 25. So you got to make sure that you put yourself in a place that it's clear, you know what's happening and you're going to make it happen. And so one of the ways he does this is through habit stacking. Yeah. Habit stacking is I think a, a great thing because it it's automatically adding on to something that you are already doing. So like you said, it, when you're teaching your kid, I mean, I'm, ha I'm teaching my, my son now he's been brushing his teeth since he was little, but you know, we have to add a little bit more, but he's not at the place yet where he's flossing or using mouthwash or those things. But like you said, you might've as a kid started with just, I'm, I'm brushing my teeth with just a toothbrush and no toothpaste on it. And then eventually you learn, you add and you add. And now like you don't think about those things, but what if, like you said, you add, okay, after I'm done brushing my teeth or while I'm brushing my teeth, I listen to, um, that great work of literature that I've always wanted to read, but have never have found the time to do it. I'm going to listen to Moby Dick while I'm brushing my teeth, right? So the five minute process in the morning of brushing my teeth, flossing, all that stuff. Well, five minutes a day over time, it adds up. And then it's not even something you think about. Or while I'm drinking my morning coffee, I'm going to do a little bit of meditation or I'm going to do a little bit of devotion or I'm going to do a little bit of, um, you know, inventory check on my life. And then it's just the habit of what you're doing. So if you already drink coffee every morning, then you just add something on top of it and that's also beneficial and it becomes the cue that the the current good habit becomes the cue for the new good habit that you want because we already talked about cues being the primary thing and the two that he says are most common are time and location so the time of day or the time of something and then the location of where you're at so if while i'm in the kitchen doing this thing i'm also doing this other thing or while i'm uh, drinking my coffee, this is when I do this other thing. And it creates that positive cue for you. And so 
in the same way that after eating a big meal or standing out, you know, on the side of the building at your work might make you want to smoke a cigarette. Well, if you create the cue of this new time, this new place where I'm already doing something good, I'm just going to add the the good habit here. This is when I'm going to, you know, do 10 push-ups or I'm going to do my I'm going to do 10 body squats while I'm brushing my teeth. Whatever it is, right? You know. Wow, that's intense. Hey, but you know, little things like that because you create the cue and next thing you know, for me, it was uh listening to there were certain books that I would only listen to, a certain genre of book like a fantasy that I would listen to when I was running, back when I used to run. And then um, I would, you know, be doing something. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to listen to it while I'm driving. And as I'm driving, listening to, uh, you know, a book that I'm listening to, I get the urge to run. Mm-hmm. I feel like, man, I should just be running right now. Yeah, Why? there's that cue response. It, yeah, exactly. So I, I have the new cue. The cue is triggered. Oh, I should be doing this thing. And to think of like, I hate running, but like this thing is actually making me want to run because I've stacked a habit. I've created this cue for myself of, I should be doing this thing right now. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so powerful. And Again, this is why I think it's great to do the habit scorecard first, because unless you know what are the consistent habits that you're doing, it's very hard to add more habits in that timeline. So, you know, for example, I I think of like as a reseller, right? I think one of the pitfalls for a lot of resellers, including myself, is consistently listing every day, right? So I've shared on the podcast, sometimes I'll list five, sometimes I'll list 10, Uh, Lately, I've been trying to list 20 to 25 a day because I'm just trying to get my business up and running. And we'll share how that helped in in our new update episode coming about in a week. But, you know, if you're able to say, hey, for example, myself, right, I have kids. So after I drop off my kids from at school, I'm going to go home. I'm going to work out, but I'm not going to eat lunch until I've worked out and I've listed at least, you know, 10 or 15 items. If I make lunch my reward, I'm going to be more likely, I'm going to be more likely to push my day ahead and make sure I get things done early so I can make room for myself later. Right. I don't have to make any effort. I don't have to rearrange my schedule. I know that's exactly what I'm doing. So, you know, he, he gives an example after I blank, I will blank. Right. And so you keep stacking, you keep stacking and eventually you're not having to take the mental space to figure that out. I, it's so it's such an easy concept, but it, it spoke a lot to me because I am very big on like, oh, I'll get to this today. I'll get to this whenever I'll get to this whenever. And next thing you know, I, I don't achieve some of those. Right. I don't achieve those goals. That's why systems are better than goals. And he argues that in the first chapter. Now, he says, overall, habit stacking allows you to create a set of simple rules that guide your future behavior. Right. So it makes things simple. So I really enjoyed it. So, again, he goes back to that inventory. Right. To check what you do throughout the day. And he says, habit stacking works best when the cue is highly specific and immediately actionable. So it can't be this vague, abstract, you know, pie in the sky, like, hey, I'm going to make sure that I work out tomorrow in the afternoon and I'm going to work out every afternoon. Instead, it's, hey, I'm going to work out in the afternoon after I do this and before I do this. Right. So it just becomes automatic every single time. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, exactly. The, you're, you're triggering the craving of the habit because of a cue you've set in place and it can take a long time. He doesn't give like specific, um, timelines. Like it takes, like you said, it, it takes 21 days to form a new habit or something like that because yeah. everybody's different. Everybody's going to have a different amount of time. And from my experience, bad habits form a lot easier than good habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's challenging to, to, to recognize that it could take months, maybe a year before that cue craving response reward of a positive habit is fully in place. And a lot of people don't want to think that kind of long-term, but that amount of time is going to go by no matter what, like a year is going to go by. And so uh, I'll give you an example, taking uh, vitamin and fish oil every morning. And then before I'd go to bed and I did that like religiously for like three months And then some other stuff happened. I wasn't, my diet got messed up. And I realized that part of taking that fish oil and the the vitamin came with after I ate my, um, after I ate my good breakfast in the morning and then in the evening as I was meal prepping for the next day. Once I stopped eating that breakfast and meal prepping, I stopped taking the vitamin and Mm. the fish oil, right? Even though I've had a habit for three months, that habit went away. I hadn't locked it in enough. Now, if I'm doing those things, if I'm meal prepping, oh, I should go take my vitamins. So the cue is still there. It's still locked in, but you have to, that's one, one of the things that makes habit stacking so beneficial is if you stack it, if you make the cue something you're already doing, 
it's less likely to go away as opposed to if you if you try and habit stack all new things. Yeah. No, it's going to be more to, challenging. If you try to change your life all in one day, it's not going to happen. No. Right? That's why you look at the good, you keep the good, you remove the bad and you replace it with good and over time it becomes a habit. And you know, I I will say I'll revisit and we'll have a conversation about this in 30 days and go, "Hey, where we're at." Uh, and, you know, because Again, these habits should be sticking with you, right? And so now the next chapter, he gets even more practical about the idea of environment. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the examples he gives is about people He want, people in the office were, they wanted to see how healthy they would be. Would they drink more water? And they found that once they put water in, in easy locations for people to pick up, more people drank water and bought less of the soda. Even though the soda never changed, the soda was always in the refrigerator in the room people had easier access to water. It was around them. It was part of what they saw. And so they did that. So I'll give two examples from my own personal life where I really believe environment changes habit. So the first one is growing up, you know, I had always, the TV had been the center of like our living room always. And it is right now. So the bad habit came back, but there was a time when I had little kids, you know, when you're, those of you that, you know, that are married or been married and have kids, you know, those stages when you have those small kids, like you think you're going to be the best parent in the world. You're going to make everything right. Like your kids are going to be flawless, right? We all, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I think we, we get into this place. And so we read all these books, right? And one a book I read was that if you remove your TV as the center of attention in your living space, it'll create greater family time, more time of engagement with one another. And TV watching won't be your primary thing that you do. Cause growing up, the TV was always there. It's, I mean, even during dinner, we would be, you know, TV would be on the side and we'd be eating dinner, watching TV together. And I did that. I did that for about a year. We moved the TV from the center space. We put on the side. We kind of put on the side of the couch. So when you're sitting on the couch, you couldn't see a TV. It was on the side and it worked for a long time. And then video games showed up and then that all ended. But it's very true. Another example though, it still sticks to me to this day and a shout out to sell quick ship quick. They have no idea that they are part of a good habit is that when I would stay at their place in LA, they would have their guest room and in their guest room, they had a drawer full of water bottles, like just water. And you know, I drink water, but I'm not a big fan of drinking water. Be real. I mean, I don't even have diet do right now. And it's because I forgot to go to the grocery store, bad habits. So, you know, they have this water and just because the water was there every night before I went to sleep at their place, I would drink water mm. just because it was there. That's it. And guess what? What do I do now? I have water bottles next to my bed all the time. And I drink water in the evening. I drink water in the morning when I wake up and just a good, the environment changed everything. Right. And so something super small, but to this day, I mean, it's been probably, I haven't, I haven't hung out with them in a while because of COVID, you know, let's say it's been a year that that habit is still there. So the environment changes everything. And environment is so key. And again, it's one of those things you have to take, you have to take a little bit of uh, inventory or reflection on your life and see uh, what kinds of things you need to do. Simple things like uh, for me with fitness as an example, um, setting my, my workout shoes by the door, having my clothes for the morning already ready to go or having a gym bag packed and easy to grab. That environment changes everything. When my alarm goes off at 4 a.m., and all I have to do is grab the stuff and go walk out the door as opposed to I'm digging through drawers. I'm looking for this. That kind of frustration would mean, you know, what, I'm just going to lay down. We'll There's just, less we'll, stress. We'll try this tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So the environment does change a lot. And, and again, in a negative way, uh, when it both my uh, employers decided to do this um, when I worked at the the other school and then now my new school. The one where I, where I worked at? Yeah. Okay. Um, they okay. decided we're gonna going to get... Um, snacks in oh, the yeah. teacher lounge and it's going to be, you know, snacks and all kinds of junk food and, you know, help yourself to one or two, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's there for you if you want it. Well, I would go up to the printer room all the time and I almost never went into the teacher lounge, but once there were like uh, cookies and donuts and, you know, beef jerky and all that stuff in there, it was like, hey, I'm just going to walk in real quick. I'm already up here. I'm going to grab one of these. And yeah, that environment was really bad for me. So when I decided to break that, I literally would go the long way up the other side of the building. So I never had to walk past that room. That's so funny. I was one of the creators of that program. Yeah. The reason being was I wanted to create greater engagement with teachers. Yeah. No, I mean, there was a good part about it. There definitely more teachers would hang out in that room. That's hilarious. But um, 
but the environment was not, it was not beneficial for the current goals that I had. And so you've got to think about that in your life. Do you have, do you have junk food easily accessible in your cabinets? Well, you're going to have a really hard time avoiding the cravings because you have access to it. Um, and, and maybe even taking the long way somewhere. If, if, if the liquor store that you stop at, you know, when you had a rough day is on a certain route on the way home, maybe you got to go an extra mile to get home, go the long way to avoid that cue, to avoid that craving and to change your environment. So think about that. How do you have your reselling room set up? How do you have your living space set up? All of those things, if you can change, make minor changes in your environment to make it more suitable for your positive goals, you're going to be more likely to succeed. And there's, there's a great example here about sleeping and, you know, that your bedroom should only be for sleep. Right. He says that. And it's interesting because I've personally have experienced this. So, so, you know, back in the day when I wasn't on my own, like, you know, that, that's what it was. Like, you know, I, I would go to, I think I would go to bed like at 10 in the evening, which is like super early for me now. I can't even imagine being in bed by 10 o'clock. Like that's, that's out there. I'm usually in bed by seven or eight. Yeah. That's, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a night owl now. Right. But the reason being, and this is why, because now like I'll be on my phone. Right. I'll be on social media. I'll be, you know, sending offers. And it makes it harder to fall asleep. Yeah, it, it does. Because at one point in time, right, it was hey, once I entered that space, all the technology was gone. Everything was done. This is why my, my kids do not have TVs in their bedroom because I'm very big. Like, hey, you go into your room like your place, your room is only intended to sleep. Right. Because what I what I recognized growing up. Is my parents put, and I'm not saying you're a bad parent. We all have our different ways of parenting, okay? But growing up, my parents put everything in my room. I had my own TV. I had all my consoles. I had everything. And you know how much time I hung out with my parents? Zero. Zero. And I remember growing up, I told myself, when I have kids, I will not have all that in their room because I want to actually be involved in my kids' lives. And so now the center of fellowship and engagement is the living room with my kids because they don't go off to their rooms to go hang out. Now. They're getting older, so that's probably going to change here soon. Okay, I'm not saying that's going to be like that forever, but I'll enjoy it while it's there. But it's it's very big, and so I looked at this and I thought because the last three nights I've been I've been purposeful about like when I enter my room, I'm not going to get on my phone. I'm just going <laughs> to no no matter how long it takes to go to sleep, boom, I've been able to sleep pretty well. And so I think there's something. No, not there's something. It's true. Mm-hmm. Environment does change everything. Now. I do, I do like how he takes things to a different level when he starts talking about you add this to when you are in different relationship spaces. Do you, I don't know if you remember any of that, but you know, one of the hardest things I think people like, you don't, you don't, you've mentioned you don't like small talk, mm-hmm. right? But one of the best things you can do as a reseller is networking, which all starts with small talk, right? So he talks about, hey, if you're in a certain environment, you establish this habit that if I enter a social setting with people I can network with, I'm going to make sure the moment I enter a room, I find somebody I don't know. And I'm going to start talking to them. And as you keep doing more and more of this, it just becomes habit. It becomes second nature. Right. And that's something I developed in my own life. I've mentioned before that I had a boss that whenever we would go to conventions, he would say, I don't want to see you. Don't talk to me. Maybe at the end of the day, we'll connect. And he was very harsh at the beginning, but it was because he kind of wanted to make sure we understood like, don't talk to him. And the reason he did this is because he wanted us to mingle and wanted us to branch out and talk to other people instead of being clickish and not learning anything. And sure enough, now, whenever I attend anything, I am always uh, like when we went to eBay open, I'm like, all right, late to Mike. And I went and talked to a bunch of other people and it forced Mike to talk to other people because it's a habit that formed. So think about not habits just in your own personal space, but in relationship space, how you interact with others. That's great. And then as we move into uh, our last chapter for today, chapter seven is the secret of self-control. And one of the things I liked about this is um, towards the end, he mentioned self-control is a short-term strategy, not a long-term one. Mm -hmm. And what he really argues with self-control is it is very beneficial uh, to to exercise self-control when you need to, but that shouldn't be your primary focus. Your primary focus isn't, I'm just going to muscle my way through this. Uh, If you think back to the idea of cues and cravings, Self-control a lot of times is avoiding the cues and if absolutely necessary, doing something to avoid the the craving. Uh, but if you get to the point where you're already having to make the response and, and make the decision, you're in a bad place. 
Um, so you have to build the habit so that you avoid that liquor store. You avoid those people that bring you down. You avoid the TV at night if it's what's keeping you up or whatever the situation is so that you are, um, you when you have to exercise self-control. So for instance, stopping smoking is a good example, I think. Um, the, the cues, right? Some of them are simple cues to try and avoid. Hanging out on the side of the building during the 15-minute break at work, right? Okay, avoid that cue. That one you can do. Uh, or, or in reselling, like you're sourcing way more than you're listing. You're spending yeah. way much money. Okay, take a different route to avoid the source. What he says here, he says, rather than make it obvious, you can make it invisible. Yep. yep. And some some cues though are harder to avoid, right? A full stomach, right? Well, when you eat, and not, now that was the cue of I smoke after I eat. Well, that one's a little bit more difficult. You're going to have to exercise self-control in certain situations. In certain scenarios, self-control is your only option, but it shouldn't be your primary focus. And so um, it says one of the most practical ways to eliminate a bad habit is to reduce exposure to the cue that causes it. Um, So people, he says, with high self-control tend to spend less time in tempting situations. So it's easier to avoid the temptation than to resist it. So your self-control should be exercised in the least amount of resistance. There's less resistance towards the bad habit or, uh, and really that's kind of what we're talking about. Self-control usually is avoiding the bad habit. There's less resistance at the cue phase. There's a lot more resistance once you get into craving and the point where you're actually having Mm -hmm. some kind of response. And so just like you said in the beginning of freeing up that mental cognitive space in your life by having certain habits, um, it's easier to fight the battle when you haven't gotten full fledged into it, right? To, to run away, to flee instead of to, to fight. And so, um, the self-control as he kind of argues here is don't try and muscle your way through it. Make it like Orlando quoted an, an invisible thing, make it something that you can kind of fight inside before it gets to, I've got a bottle of alcohol sitting in front of me, or I've got the TV already on and that show playing, which always sucks me in right at that point. It's a lot harder to turn off than if you fought that battle a little bit earlier. Or I have my phone on Clubhouse and I've been on Clubhouse for like 16 hours. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, <laughs> I've even, having the, the phone in the, even yeah. having the phone in the room, right? Yeah, no, you know, agreed. so. Yeah. Agreed, it's so good. So there is so much more practical stuff up ahead. Uh, we even talk about the dopamine spike and all these good things. But that's for our next Level Up Review. This is part one of a three-part series of Atomic Habits. Great book. Definitely suggest you pick it up. I, you know, we get nothing out of it. Maybe we'll get like 10 cents if you go through our link. But I, we want to be able to help you not only be a better reseller, but just be a better person overall. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.